Hello, welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? This is part three of Me Speak Babel, The Gate of God. Today our topics are Ben Franklin and 50 cents. 50 cent. Possibly separated at birth. Let's talk. All right. We're still talking about the Tower of Babel. The common language of Babel is a more subtle message than the idea of language as we think of it. The mention of the Table of Nations right before the Tower of Babel is a key connection to make. So if we want to know why did Russia and Putin invade Ukraine or why did Caesar cross the Rubicon, we can step back and ask ourselves, what common language do all nations speak? Or closer to home, what common language do we all as individuals speak? The common language is not only seen in war, but that is the grossest and most full expression of this common language. Uh, the bombs being lobbed into apartment buildings in Kiev are shouting that language right now. But really, our common language can be heard in even the nicest of phrases and spoken from the kindest of faces. A few good examples of the common language are as follows. Benjamin Franklin in the 18th century said, God helps those who help themselves. That is one version of the common language. And a more blunt version of the common language is from the 21st century rapper 50 Cent, who said, get rich or die trying. Uh, ben Franklin and 50 Cent speak the common language. Uh, yes, they both speak English, but more importantly, they speak the original common language, the ancient one, the same as those who were building the Tower of Babel. Franklin and 50 are expressing the same idea in different words, separated by a few hundred years. Uh, ben Franklin and 50 Cent are fluent in the pre-Babel language of making a name for themselves. Both orient their lives toward the goal of gaining money and taking power. Gordon Gekko's famous line in the movie Wall Street spoke the language, and he just fully dropped the facade of Franklin when he said, greed is good. I guess it's not surprising that Gecko was in between Franklin and 50 Cent uh, when greed became a virtue. So Franklin invented a proverb, proverb that almost sounds biblical, uh, but rest assured it is not. Uh, God does not help those that help themselves. He would much rather that they imitate Jesus and give their lives to prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. For all the contributions Franklin made to the founding of America, he did not in any way imitate Jesus. Uh, now, moral perfection was an interest of Franklin, and so long it was achieved by him without the Christian God. He tackled the subject in a truly modern way. Uh, ben Franklin even had a paper version of a spreadsheet to track his moral progress, and he worked on one virtue at a time, which is interesting. Um, there was a, there's a Father Scopoli, a few hundred years way before Franklin, in 1589 said, Virtues are, be, are to be required one at a time and by degrees. Uh, the only difference was Scupoli's project included God and required no spreadsheet. Um, in many ways, Franklin's project on paper was attempting exactly the same thing that was happening at the construction site in Babel, just without masonry or mortar. So let's talk a little more about Benjamin Franklin, the gentle old bespectacled grandfatherly figure of American history who graces the front side of every $100 bill in print. Franklin is a fascinating character who embodies much of the American uh, character itself and the best intentions of the Enlightenment. 
First, Franklin was a deist, not a Christian. So this is an important distinction to make. Uh, the same goes for George Washington. He was a deist and not a Christian. Um, Franklin was also a practicing Freemason. So even if Washington and Franklin publicly claimed to be Christian as practicing Freemasons, they likely just found reference to God as useful for advancing their own public lives among the, the peasants, so you could say. This is important to understand as this is the same root motive that drives an ancient people to build a ziggurat. Uh, the ancient people went to great lengths to justify their power and it required a lot of stone and labor. Nations needed an awesome structure to control the people while the deists of the Enlightenment just declared man and his mind to be the tallest. They didn't need to build something, they just said man is the tallest. The modern temple is intellectual, existing in the mind, but still requires assent of the masses to agree to that. There's just no need to build a tower to reach the sky now because no lowercase gods need ritual sacrifices or transactions. Now, we actually do have plenty of rituals and sacrifices still with us. They're just not quite as obvious as what they were doing um, back with sacrificing animals on an altar. Now, instead of building towers, the deists kept the uppercase word God in our mouths, but tried to move God off the stage, kind of like giving a Lifetime Achievement Award to a good actor that never won an Oscar. Um, Jefferson threw God a medal and a trophy in the Declaration of Independence, and then asked him to kindly step aside and retire. To this day, a nod toward God goes a long way for politicians, even as they completely ignore him in their policies and personal lives. Of course, everyone is a sinner, so it's not surprising or even noteworthy that people fall down and appear hypocritical. So I'm, I'm not pointing out the failure of politicians to be good Christians. What I am suggesting is that very few of the founders were Christian at all, because a practicing Freemason like Franklin or Washington cannot be a Christian any more than a practicing Jew could be a Hindu. They just don't go together. Um, so attempting to claim coexistence of Christianity and Freemasonry or Christianity and being a deist, it requires a lot of spinning plates and hula hoops and tambourines and fireworks. And Freemasons um, like, like Franklin are, were openly rejecting the living God of Israel and certainly the Trinitarian God of Christianity. And you can't be a deist either and have either one of those ideas driving your life. So um, Franklin believed in a clockmaker God, a being who set the stars in motion and left the lights on before retiring into the great beyond, like the elves uh, sailing off to another world at the end of Lord of the Rings. Um, this God is like a gamer who starts a video game on auto mode and goes to bed and just lets the game play out. The deist idea of God is a creator that requires no worship and demands nothing. In other words, it's an absentee father God uh, who left long ago and left us free to do whatever we like. So we can join a gang or, you know, uh, stay up all night, whatever we want to do. The clockmaker version of God has no relation whatsoever with the living God of Christian faith because that God's uh, the Bible of a deist, that God, they, their Bible can end at chapter 2 of Genesis. There's no need for anything beyond it. That's the creation is done, the end, good night. And so, okay, why am I picking on Ben Franklin in this episode? Um, I don't mean to. I've actually read his autobiography. Really enjoy it. Fascinating person. And um, really a model, of course, for 
uh, a great life, um, an enlightenment hero. Let's call it that. He is the poster child, though, of the common language spoken by the architects of Babel. Um, Franklin spoke the language of Babel because the language of Babylon is declaring a deity that either serves us or doesn't matter or both. A ziggurat is an expensive and fancy way of trying to communicate with and manipulate a god. Now this required a lot of ritual and song and dance and smoke to sell the idea, but what happens with a ziggurat is the same thing that happens with deism. The human, the self, bubbles up as the new deity, the new god. Uh, pride rises like hot air and overtakes humility, and the virtues get swapped when that happens. Pride rises, humility sinks. It very much matches the behavior of hot and cold air masses. Humility kneels while pride tries to rise up to the heavens. And when you're going to the heavens, you're trying to grasp God and control him. Now, Franklin did not try to deny that God exists, but rather to deny that God matters. Now, this trick makes for a dead deity instead of a living God still present with us. The clockmaker God idea opens the door to this. Um, the result of the long onslaught of enlightenment thinking is a polite depositing of God into the dustbin of history. Now, if you punch your vote for the clockmaker God, as I, I used to think that made a lot of sense, um, just like Franklin did, I'm sure he did that at his weekly Masonic meetings, then there's little or no difference from denying the existence of God entirely. Or you might as well make a bogus sacrifice at a ziggurat to justify your power. The false gods of Babel were made in the image and likeness of the ruling class and the clockmaker God's image and likeness doesn't matter at all because he's on permanent vacation. It's like a substitute teacher who left the room. It's just do whatever you want. Uh, more importantly, the clockmaker God is not needed to forgive anything because just like the rulers of Babel, the rules are decided by those in power or in other words, and to use Franklin's words, those who help themselves. The pagan god who demanded sacrifice was not alive, but at least the illusion was more lively than that of the clockmaker god. When the authority of the living creator god who sustains all things is gone, then there is nothing holding back those who help themselves. Uh, the proverb, proverb of Franklin is essentially a nice way of arguing for the will to power, as in win at all costs. Help yourself. God helps those who help themselves. So in Franklin's cosmology, there's no cosmic justice, uh, no everlasting judgment, and the conscience is just kind of a nag that you need to stifle. It's like, stop bothering me. I'd want to, I want to do these drugs. Just leave me alone. Um, the cookie jar is just as open and unattended with the clockmaker God of a deist as it is for the atheist who says there's no God at all. In fact, the atheist is really the only honest one. And this is why I am hopeful. Uh, I think our age of atheism has a lot of people coming around the long way back to belief in the true God, the living creator God. Because all of the other trick gods are so obviously false, like Zeus, or pointless deism. That's a pointless version of God. The only God that makes sense and the only one that can even satisfy the intellect and give purpose to our lives is the transcendent living creator God. All of the other gods don't matter 
or are total frauds. In any other cosmos than that of the God of Abraham, we can do whatever we like. And like Ben Franklin, we can help ourselves to whatever we like. A dead or a silent God leads directly from Jean-Jacques Rousseau to Michel Foucault. Uh, a pagan God can at least command fear, but without that, new methods are needed. So the thunder God who throws lightning and causes storms only has power through fear. The storm God keeps the lightning nearby to strike if he is disrespected as he is the one who unleashes havoc on the world. He must be appeased with our worship, otherwise he will show us who's the boss. The storm god that oddly matches our worldly power is that he is in competition with creation and co craves adoration as a kind of payment. It's a tit-for-tat kind of scenario. If he gets what he wants, you will receive a reward. It's kind of like a dog after he goes for a walk, he gets his reward. That's, that's how the storm god works with us. Now, there are many modern Christians who understand God in this way and really need to break free from that model because they're playing the same game of Babel. That's, the, that's what was happening at Babel. On the other hand, a clockmaker God, the watchmaker, the blind watchmaker, whatever you want to call it, it commands nothing. He's the God of indifference. A God that created matter and exited the stage doesn't matter at all. It's like a teacher, like I said, who leaves the classroom and tells the students to behave. He's a powerless joke. The hall monitor is gone, so what's the difference between an absent God that created the universe against a pre-existing universe with no God at all? There is none. The latter is just much easier to live with, except you need something else, and it's called the rule of law to assert control by pretending at objective truth. The funny thing is, however, that... The ground for objective truth starts to shake when it's just a set of rules etched in stone outside a courthouse. Eventually, people see through this game. Uh, what we call the rule of law is our new storm god, um, and we use it in the form of courts and police, and in its most full form, SWAT teams and the National Guard. As the masses come around more to match Franklin's idea of God, or worse, Karl Marx's idea of God, the jig is up. The pretense of objective truth gets jettisoned for, quote, my truth. In either case, there are no rules except for what we decide. Ziggurat or no ziggurat, the god of Babel and the god of Franklin is the one that helps those who help themselves. The only thing that comes to matter in this worldview is power. And that is the common language of Babel. That is what we want. However, a living god that knows the number of hairs on your head that matters a great deal. That God is the only one that can change our behavior out of love. There is a reason that the God of the Bible has lasted so long. This God satisfies our souls. He fits our lives. He explains everything. And he is also the only real one. The God of Israel, who we have come to understand better in the revelation of the Trinity, is the only one that can make all of our difficulties in life suddenly fall into place, just like he did in creating the universe. Once this concept of God is understood, both suffering and love begin to make sense. The main reason this happens, and keeps happening in every generation, is because this God is real, and this God is alive, and he came to earth as Jesus, and he came even more real when you read his words, and it suddenly dawns on you that, Jesus is God. It may happen while you're brushing your teeth or 
in the line at the store. Um, it will stun you when you see it. The language that is being spoken in the Tower of Babel story is not really referring to the Sumerian language or Akkadian or Greek or Latin, as I've said. No, it's a worldview that celebrates a culture of competition, power-seeking, comfort-seeking, possession-seeking, and pleasure-seeking. What we really want is God to approve what we want, our desires. But our conscience is God's messenger that lets us know in subtle ways that he will never approve of those things. There are certain things that are not approved, and that's what tells us, the little voice. And we do go to great lengths to stifle that. The worldview or common language is the little voice uh, that they are, they are battling. The common language is fighting this little voice in our head. Um, and what it's telling us, what the world is telling us, is that we elevate our pursuits over the glory of God. What we want instinctually is salvation, independent of God. We want to do it ourselves. Now, a ziggurat is built to pull the God, gods down, to shape God to match our human pursuits, to justify ourselves. The correct approach to God is to stop trying to manipulate him because he cannot be manipulated. And rather, we need to conform our human pursuits to the will of the one true God, and that will result in much better output for us. Again, if you think of God as the potter at the wheel, he is the potter, we are the pot. If you think of God as an author of the book, he is the author, we are the character, we cannot reach up and grab the author. That's it for this episode for part three of Me Speak Babble. I'll be back with the next part and hope you're enjoying it. I have many more to come. Thanks.